Well, I couldn't help, as we sing those songs, think about you and uh, this redeemed garage. You know this used to be a garage, more or less. I mean, the first time I came in here, there, were a car, there was a couple of cars parked in here. Um, and I was thinking about all the places around the world, you know, where, where people are gathered. Some, we know, are gathered to, they say they worship God, but they've made up their own God. And they're in these big temples with all these idols around and it's all you know full of pomp and pageantry and we know that they don't worship the true God but we also know even in Christian circles there are many places with huge churches you know giant cathedrals and but they don't even have the the truth I mean they don't even have the truth they don't preach the truth and here we are just a humble little group meeting in this redeemed garage and it made me think I was just thinking of you as I was singing because this is us first Corinthians Chapter 1, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. So, I say this to you a lot. You know, we're perfectly qualified to be used mightily of God. We're so inconsequential to the world. We're such a joke to the world. But we're not a joke to God. So I just want to, all I'm trying to say is it really blesses me when I hear you singing. And I think, here we are <laughs> in a garage. And we're singing to Christ and how He must delight in it. I hope you, you understand that Jesus delights in it. When you sing to Him from your heart, and when you come to hear the Word preached, and when you come and bring an offering, this delights the Lord. We're meeting in a garage. But it honors Christ and He loves it. Don't ever forget it, beloved. Don't ever forget it. Jesus loves it that we would come out on a night like this when it's way too cold for human beings to be out walking around. To come out and, and to gather together and to worship Him. It honors the Lord and it delights the Lord. And it delights me uh, as well to be here with you and to to be here to sing the praises of God with you. Okay, now I'm going to start the sermon, okay? Um, I was just moved uh, singing with you. So Noah built an ark. You know that, right? How many of you know that Noah built an ark? Okay, most everybody knows that. Uh, Joseph humbly submitted to the hard providences of God for 13 or so years. Moses stood before Pharaoh Really, all he had in his hand was, was a stick, a staff. Uh, Joshua took the promised land. David stepped in front, of a, uh, in front of a giant. We saw a widow in the Scripture we talked about several weeks ago. Threw in her last cent. Matthew uh, left his job. Peter left his business. And Paul left his religion. Why do people do this? Why do we see people in the Bible do this kind of stuff? Let's fast forward just a little bit. Some of you will recognize these names. Some of you won't. William Carey was a missionary from England to India. He took his family to India. This is the 19th and 20th century. Amy Carmichael, some of you have heard of her. She saved uh, hundreds of little girls from Hindu temple prostitution. Adoniram Judson, you, some of you know his story. He was the first American foreign missionary. He took his family to Burma. Uh, Charlotte Moon was a famous missionary in China. 
Of course, you know George Mueller. I talk about George Mueller all the time. Uh, through faith and prayer, the Lord used him to clothe and house and feed and educate and evangelize 10,000 orphans. Fast forward a little bit more. Fast forward to the 21st century. Chuck and Shirley helped to replant the International Church of Milan in 2004. The church was dead. It had never been really much of a church to begin with, but it was dead. The founding pastor had left and it was dead. Chuck and Shirley, a woman named Fabrizia, and another American named Jay got together and decided the Lord wanted to replant this church. There was a man named John in that church. He was an American businessman. That first year, when we had no money, he gave 50,000 U.S. dollars. Can you imagine? I know that seems impossible to you. To many of you. Well, it seems impossible to me. But all he did was honor God in his finances. Obviously, he made a lot of money. But you know what? When you bring your offering to the Lord, it's the same to Him. When you bring a worthy offering, to, it doesn't have to be $50,000. But it, it, it has to be an offering that's worthy. An offering, from your, an offering from your heart. But anyway, this man was an awesome thing. A uh, young couple named Dave and Renee, they started Youth Compass in Milan in 2005. A couple named Sandy, Nelson and Sandy, they, they planted uh, a church in the north. We used to have a church in the north, in Monza, that used to meet in the, in the, in the mornings. Keith and Debbie, you know Keith and Debbie Jones, they're, they're giving their life to plant an Italian church here. Maybe multiple churches if God blesses. A number of people have come through this church who have sacrificially given to this church and sacrificially served this church. Why do Christians do this stuff? You know, we can go from the Bible to church history to now. Why do Christians keep doing this kind of thing? Why? It's a good question. It's a good question. Why, why do men and women who have met Christ Jesus do these kind of extraordinary things? Is it because we're, we're religious do-gooders? Is that it? I mean, are we driven, by, are we driven by, by religion? Is it out of a sense of religious propriety? Is it just proper? Is it just something we're supposed to do so we do it? Is it out of a sense of ought? Is it out of a sense of, of, of should? I mean, do we think we're earning some kind of favor with God? Why do Christians do these kinds of things? These are important questions, I think, for us to understand and to ask. Well, what does the Bible say about this phenomenon of Christians doing these crazy things? Listen to James chapter 2, 14-20. Very famous text. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? The Bible is clear. When it's real inside, when the born-again things happened, you know, when, when you're... When, when your heart, when God does that heart transplant, He takes out that heart of stone, He puts in that heart of flesh. When it's real, it spills out into your life. You do extraordinary things in the name of Jesus. 
ultimately because you love Him, not because you're religious. It's not about religion. True Christianity has never been about religion. I know I say that to you all the time. So people who have really met the biblical God, they build arks. And they step in front of giants. They give their last cent. They move to Burma. They move to India. They plant an international church in Milan, Italy. They do these things because they love Him. Not because they're religious. I looked the word up. I looked the word faith up, and I went to the dictionary and some very unsatisfactory answers. If you look at the dictionary, it says the dictionary says it's a religious uh, conviction. I don't think I'm going to go to Burma on a religious conviction. Are you? Are you going to move to Burma? How many of you have ever been to Burma? I bet nobody's been to Burma. I've been to Burma. It's an awful place. No one goes there <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> Unless they're serving the Lord or maybe they have some business there. It's a, it's a terrible place. It's ruled by these dictators and they just, it's a terrible place. The people are wonderful, but the place is a hard place. Or the dictionary says, well, maybe it's a system of, of religious beliefs. I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to sacrificially give because of religious beliefs. I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's enough. The other thing the dictionary said, it's a set of spiritual principles. No way am I going to give myself away for a set of spiritual principles. It's got to be something much more compelling than that. I know it wasn't religious convictions or a system of belief or spiritual principles that sustained Adoniram Judson in Burma as he buried two wives and seven children in the ministry that the Lord called him to do there. It wasn't doctrine. It wasn't orthodoxy. It wasn't dogma. That's never enough. The reason real Christians do awesome things is because they love Christ. That's why. They love Him. And I'm going to ask you tonight, do you love Christ? Or are you merely religious? Is He merely a religious icon to you? That's the question before us as we look at the text tonight. It's not religion. It's not principles. It's not conviction. It's about the Lord. So, you and I know this as true Christians. Those of you who are born again in here, you understand that if, if we've really met the biblical God, it's relational, right? <laughs> it's relational. Yeah, that's what it is. And because He's so awesome and so beautiful and so compelling, because He is our Creator, because He is our Redeemer, we can't help but seek to honor Him and serve Him in this life that He has given to us. It is not about dead religion. Even dead Christian religion. It's not about that. It's not about that at all. Jesus said, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. It's from love. And if you're trying to be a Christian out of any other motivation, it won't work. It has to be love. He didn't say if you think I have a few good ideas 
or if you believe my teaching is sound, or if you think my theology is pretty or my doctrine is pristine. He doesn't say that. He says, if you love me, be my people. That's always what it is. It's always about that relational thing. It's always about the love. And many of you could give testimony to the truth of this statement. Knowers of Jesus are lovers of Jesus. If you know Him, you love Him. It just happens. <laughs> it's not really negotiable. You can't help yourself. He's irresistibly beautiful and compelling. If you know Him, you love Him. And if you love Him, you're going to obey Him. Christianity is that simple. You know, I know that the priests and some pastors, they want to make it really hard. It's not hard. To know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to obey Him. Basta così. Is that right? I don't know. Whatever. That's it. That's, that's Christianity. So, because we love Him, you know, Jesus says in John chapter 11, My sheep hear My voice. They know Me. They follow Me. Because we love Him, we happily and gladly, joyfully, expectantly follow our great God. It's true. He's easy to love. You know, I wish we had time. I would ask for each of you to tell me why He is so easy to love. Like I said to you last week, He is easy to love. You know, we were talking about last week, we're supposed to love one another. You know, He's easy to love. Sometimes you're hard to love. Sometimes I'm hard to love. But He's easy to love. Yeah? He's easy to love. He's easy to worship. He's so beautiful. He's easy to obey. He's easy to follow. He's easy to live for. He's easy to die for. This is what Christians understand. Ultimately, not that we don't struggle at times, but we ultimately understand all of these things are true. All of them are true. And that's part of John's point tonight in the text that we're going to look at together. For a real Christian who knows God, it spills out of his life. It spills out of his life. It's observable. People at the university, people at your work, obviously your family, those in your neighborhood, they should be able to observe that you are a Christian. They shouldn't wonder if you're a Christian. They ought to know that you are a Christian. It's supposed to be a visible, tangible, conspicuous kind of thing. As I told you last week and I mentioned to you earlier, 1 John is the book of assurance. If you want to know if you're a Christian, go read 1 John. Do I look like 1 John? We understand none of us do it perfectly. We understand that. That's what 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 is about. If we say we have no sin, we're liars. We, we, we deceive ourselves. But we, verse 9, we confess our sin. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us. We understand we're always dealing with our sin as Christians. We're always cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our own sanctification. We understand that. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. What I'm talking about are the hallmarks of true conversion. Verse 1, chapter 1. We believe Jesus is the Christ. We believe that. One of the hallmarks of true conversion. Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. We are in fellowship with Jesus. We walk in the light. Another hallmark of being a true Christian. Verses 8 and 9. As I just mentioned, the true Christian doesn't try to hide his sin or deny his sin. He owns his sin and he deals with his sin. He confesses his sin. It's a hallmark of true conversion. Tonight, we're going to look at another hallmark of true conversion. 
as the Holy Spirit shows to us here in 1 John. Let me just reread the text for you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we... What? Someone tell me, what does the text say? If we go to church and we you know, tip our hats to God and we keep a lot of rules. Is that, what, what does it say? If we, if we love Him enough to actually do what He says. You know, this is what, this is what the text is saying to us. By this we know that we know Him. We keep His commandments, albeit imperfectly. Verse 4, the one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, he is a liar. The truth is not in him. John, if you read 1 John, some people get pretty... It gets pretty heavy. You know? <laughs> he's just black and white. You know, he's not like one of these modern preachers who just tries to make everything you know, warm and fuzzy and everybody's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, everything's okay. He's not one of those kind of preachers. He loves people enough to tell them the truth. And he uses words like liar. He says, you're a liar. If you say you know Christ, but you don't live like Christ, that's unthinkable to John. Again, he's not talking about perfection. He's talking about the direction of your life. John would probably not make it in most pulpits in the United States, where I'm from. In the U.S., many if not most churches are very weak. And they're more interested in drawing a crowd and pleasing men than they are about, you know, talking about the truth of God's Word. John was concerned about eternal things. He wasn't concerned about how big a crowd he had. He wasn't concerned about the church budget. He was concerned about the truth. And he was concerned about heaven and hell. For anyone who would hear him, this is what John was concerned about. He didn't preach pretty. He just preached straight. He didn't want anyone to be deceived. He didn't want anyone to be deceived. He didn't want anyone going through life thinking there's something that they're not. And so he challenged people strongly. He says you're a liar. You know, most preachers would never say that. <laughs> At least where I come from. Most preachers would never say that out loud to their people. But God's Word says, if you say you're a Christian, but you don't seek to live by the words of Jesus, you're a liar. This is what God says. You know, how many of you know who Billy Graham is? He was a famous, most of you guys are too young to know who he is, but he was a famous uh, evangelist in the States. Um, you know, he preached all around the world, did all this stuff. But he's been quoted as saying, he says some stuff that troubles me a lot, but I actually agree with him in this, with this. He's been quoted as saying that up to 70% of the people who say they're Christians are not. I mean, Billy Graham basically says there are a lot of liars in the church. There's a guy, there's another guy over in the States, his name's George Barna. He's a sociologist, researcher, pollster. I think I've shared this with you before. He says there are a bunch of liars in the U.S. church. He surveyed uh, 
Christians and non-Christians in 131 different areas of attitude, behaviors, values, and belief, he found no discernible difference. Beloved, Francis Chan is right. There's something wrong if our life looks like that of an unbeliever. If our life makes sense to an unbeliever, something is bad wrong. This is what George Barna found as he did his surveys and his polls. Apparently, there's a lot of liars. In the U.S. church anyway, I can say it that way. I'm from America. These are, these are Americans talking about their experience in the States. I think we need more preachers like John. We'd have smaller crowds on Sunday, but we'd have bigger lives on Monday through Saturday. Yes? God doesn't care about crowds. Man, if you, all you got to do is read the Gospels. Every time Jesus got a big crowd, boom! He gave them the truth. And they leave. You remember? They all left. And He said to, he said to His twelve, do you want to leave too? They said, no, you have the words of life. Jesus always challenged the crowds. He loved them enough to challenge them where they were and how they were living. It's always this way with Jesus. Just read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Why does knowing Jesus equate to obeying Jesus? I said it just a minute ago. Knowers of Jesus are lovers of Jesus. And lovers of Jesus are followers of Jesus. It's Christianity. It's just simple Christianity. Knowing Him will ultimately cascade into obeying Him. There's a compelling for the born-again soul to obey the Lord. There's just a compelling, an irresistible compelling to obey the Lord. And ultimately, and I'm sure I can get you know, some... Some testimony from some of you guys in here. To me, it's addicting. It's right to say it's addicting. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Because the bigger you believe Him, the bigger He shows up. And it's a, it's a God encounter. Huge obedience is a huge God encounter. To me, it's addicting. I don't know if you understand that concept. I hope it translates to you. I'm going to share a story with you. I don't share it so you can say, wow, Jim's really great. That's not why I'm telling you the story, okay? I, I even hesitate to tell it. But um, it, it perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about. And it happened to me. So I want to tell you. I want to tell you. Back in... Um, well, what I'm saying is, I said all that to say this. What I'm talking to you about tonight, it's John 14, 21. John 14, 21, Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will come to you, and I will... Does anyone know what He says? I will what? I will disclose Myself to you. This is why Christians obey the Lord. It's not because we keep rules. It's because we want the disclosure thing. And this is the story I want to tell you. Back in the 90s, I was working for a Nazi, man. I mean, he was just a bad guy. He was a Nazi. He owned the company. I was his financial manager. He came to me and asked me to do something illegal. Now, you know, just to show you what a weenie I am, I didn't immediately say no. It was lunchtime, so I went to lunch. And what I used to do, my habit at that time was I'd go to lunch. I always had my Bible in my car, and I would study my Bible and prepare my lesson for, the, for, the, uh, for teaching on Sunday, right? So I had my Bible, and I said, Lord, help me be a man. 
I was shaking in my shoes. I knew if I told him no, I'd lose my job. And I had a stay-at-home wife and two kids and a bunch of pets to, to support, right? So I was nervous about it. I was concerned about it. And I said, Lord, help me be a man. He took me to John 14, 21. It's one of the most important verses in my life. He says, if you love me, you'll do what I say, and I'll, I'll disclose myself to you. So I went back, and I told my, my Nazi boss, I said, I'm not going to do it. He said, you're fired. And I had a big smile on my face. I said, praise the Lord. I know he thought I was smoking crack, but I wasn't smoking crack. I had something far better than crack. His name is Jesus Christ. And I can remember driving home. I had a 30-minute drive home. I had to go home and tell, tell the wife and the kids, you know. But I can promise you, I was counting on the promise of God. I was, I was already expecting God to show up. I had this anticipation about the disclosure thing. Guess what happened, beloved? Personal testimony. The disclosure happened. And I won't go into all the details, but ten days later I had a far better job. Now God doesn't always operate that quickly. I'm not saying it's a formula. You know, it's not a formula. But what I'm saying is, Beloved, obey the Lord. <laughs> Especially if it's hard. Obey the Lord. He will come to you. He will, he will come to you. To know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to trust Him. To trust Him is to obey Him. I'm going to add one more. To obey Him is to know Him more. You get it? There's like this beautiful loop. To know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to trust Him and obey Him. And, and, and to obey Him is to know Him more because He comes. And He meets you in the obedience, particularly the hard obedience. He meets you. He meets you in that place. So John is saying to us here in 1 John, he said, if you know Him... You'd obey Him. If you knew Him, you'd understand that He was trustworthy and reliable. That He was worth obeying. If you knew Him, you'd understand the whole disclosure thing and you would want it. You would want it more than anything else in your life is to have an encounter with the living God. That's what you would want more than anything. More than a million bucks. More than a big career. You know, more than the highest mark you can get on your thesis. Jesus, in my life. This is, John said, if, if you knew Him, that's what you'd want. If you knew Him. That's the way it would be for you. If you knew Him, you know you never lose in obedience. When Even if it's hard, you don't lose. You never lose. The Christian never loses. In obedience. If you knew Him, you'd find new and aggressive ways to obey Him. You wouldn't just be passive about it. You'd be saying, where's a new way I can obey? Where's an aggressive way I can obey? Something different. Something that really pushes me out of my comfort zone. You'd be looking for that, beloved, if you really knew Him and you understood about the whole disclosure thing. John is saying there's only one possible reason you would, you would ever live a life of obedience and call yourself a Christian, and that is you don't really know Him at all. This is what John is saying. 
If your lifestyle is, is, uh, is giving off the ambience of unbelief, you don't know Him. Because if you knew Him, you wouldn't live like that. This is what John is saying. John is saying, I can't believe you're a Christian. You have to be lying. You have to be lying. Because if you knew Him, you'd love Him. If you loved Him, you'd obey Him. And if you'd obey Him, the disclosure happens. This is why Christians go to Burma. <laughs> they love Him, and disclosure happens. And so this is why you must obey the Lord. At your university, in your home, with your, with your spouse, with your friends, in your relationships, in the things you do, the things you go see, the things you put in your mind, when you're surfing the net, you know, again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the direction of our life. It's the motivation and the momentum and drive and direction and path of our life to obey the Lord. When we fall, when we sin, we confess. He cleanses us. We repent. We get up and we go, we go with Him again. This is how it works. This is how it works. By our words and deeds, we worship the Lord. Verse 5 says, Whoever keeps His Word, in Him the love of God has been truly perfected. you see it? If you keep His Word, the love of God has been truly perfected. The Bible tells us that something else is perfected in obedience. Does anybody remember what it is? I've already referenced the passage in the, in, uh, the sermon earlier. It's that famous sermon over, or pardon me, passage over in James chapter 2. Listen to this, James chapter 2, 21 and 22. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Faith was perfected in, in the works, just as love is perfected in our obedience. Parenthetically, just on the James passage there, I, I need to say this, I think I need to say this. Um, you know, many people teach that because what James is saying here, that works are part of salvation. I mean, this is the way the Catholics talk about it. It's the way some Protestants talk about it. That you have to do works to be saved. That's always wrong. Your filthy works are never going to save you. Only the finished work of Jesus saves a man. But if the finished work of Jesus has genuinely saved you, there will be works. That's all that James is saying. They'll flow out of your life. They'll spill out of your life. This is true Christianity. This is what happens. You remember that Abraham confessed uh, that he believed and he was declared righteous. It wasn't about his works. His works came later. His works were, you know, he made his confession in Genesis 15. His works were in Genesis 22 when he took Isaac up the mountain. It validated the fact that his confession was true. Your works are supposed to validate. This is what all this, that God is saying to us in 1 John. Your works validate your profession of faith. You're not earning your salvation. We do know that we're earning reward. That's a whole other sermon. But we're not earning our salvation by our works. 
We're just showing that we love Him. <laughs> we're obeying because we love Him. So, enough said about that. But I felt like I needed to, to make that clarification. John tells us, in obedience, the love of God is perfected. James tells us, in obedience, faith is perfected. Obedience flows from those who truly know the Lord because they love the Lord. I can remember when I was converted. I was converted at 28. I'd been in church all my life. My parents were, yeah, they had me at church all the time. And I, when I was eight, I did what I was supposed to do. In my, in my tradition, when you're eight or so, you're supposed to make a profession of faith and be baptized. This is what this was expected. So, of course, most eight-year-olds do it, right? It didn't mean anything to me. It was just something religious that I you know, agreed to do. It wasn't Christianity. I wasn't converted at all. I was converted at 28. And I can remember uh, when I got converted, I was really hungry to, to study the Bible and to know the Bible. And a friend of mine took me to a, a Bible study group. And they were studying Genesis. And we were studying the, the story of Abraham, right? And man, I, when I, I'd just been born again, I saw this. I thought, man, is that awesome, this relationship that God and Abraham had. And God just keeps coming to Abraham. Have you ever read the, the account? God just keeps coming to Abraham. It's an awesome thing. I thought, man, that's the way I want it to be in my life. Of course, the, the, the undercurrent of the story is, well, Abraham, not perfectly. We understand that. But he just kept obeying the Lord. He just kept obeying the Lord. You know? He just kept obeying the Lord. And the disclosure just kept coming. God just keeps coming to Abraham. I love this. It's an awesome story. You know what? It happens. It really happens. To those who give themselves away, it really happens. It really does happen like that. God just kept giving Himself to Abraham. In James chapter 2, verse 23 says, Abraham was called the friend of God. John is telling us here, you can't, uh, you can't know Him and live like you don't. It's basically what he's saying. That's his point here. You're a liar <laughs> if you say you know Him and uh, you live like you don't. John says... It's inconceivable to me. It's an oxymoron. It makes no sense. You must be a liar. Because anybody that knows Him loves Him. And from the love flows the obedience. It's just, it's just the way it happens. Just in the first 16 verses of 1 John, you guys can read this for yourself this week. Take a few minutes and take a look at it. It says, real Christians, they practice the truth. They walk in the light. They keep His Word. They have fellowship with Jesus. They keep His commandments. Verse 6, if we abide in Him, we walk as He walked. Again, not perfectly, but man, we're walking like Jesus. And when we sin, He forgives us as we confess and repent. But we, we, and we get up and we keep walking like Jesus. We look like Christians. We smell like God as we talked about several weeks ago. It's John 8.31. If you abide in My Word, then you are... What does Jesus say? If you abide in My Word, then you are what? Anyone know? You are Mine. That's how you'll know. You're Mine. 
You abide in my word. And when you abide in my word, what else happens? You will be free. Yes, free. You're free to do Hebrews 11. <laughs> You're free to be a radical Christian. You're free to obey me in, in every sphere of your life. You're free to be a radical Christian. This is what the Lord is saying. So let me ask you, do you look like 1 John? Does your life look like 1 John? Does your Christianity look like 1 John? Beloved, it's supposed to. It's supposed to. Do you practice the truth? Do you walk in the light? Do you keep His commandments? Do you abide in His Word? Many times have I said it to you, we are called to be doers of the Word. What does the Holy Spirit tell us in, in the great book of James? If we only hear it and do not do it, what does God say? Then we are deluded. We have deceived ourselves if we only hear but never do. He also says, and there, right there, uh, a few verses later, says, if we only talk but never do it, God says that's useless. So hearing and not doing is, means we're deluded, and talking and not doing means it's useless. It's dead, as he talks about in a verse or two later. I love how Eugene Peterson um, paraphrases James 2.17. I know you've heard me say it to you before. Some of you have. I love this. I love how he does this. This is brilliant. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts? Does anybody know what I'm going to say? Karen, do you know? Huh? Do you remember? It's outrageous nonsense. Don't you love that? God talk without God acts. It's outrageous nonsense. That's exactly right. This is what God is saying to us in the Bible. It's outrageous nonsense. Beloved, I bet there's some here trusting in their profession of faith when they were eight, or trusting in their religious works, or trusting in the sacraments, or they're trusting in this, or they're trusting in that. Beloved, don't you dare. I'm not going to let you walk out of here trusting in anything but the finished work of Jesus. If you trust in anything else, you're lost. And if you, if you say you know Him, but you don't keep His commandments, you're a liar. Jim, you're being strong. I know. That's why we don't have very many people. <laughs> That's one reason. <laughs> um, I know. But I don't ever want you to... Most of you people are young. I don't ever want you to forget that. I want you to remember that the day you die, I want you to remember that Pastor Jim in Milan gave us the truth. Not because he's a hard guy, because he loved us. And he challenged every one of us to either be real or just get out the door. You remember there's that great text in Malachi, and I'm, I'm about done. There's that great text in Malachi where, where God says, man, you guys are terrible. Chapter 1, go read it. Malachi chapter 1, last book in the Old Testament. He says, man, you're bringing me these sorry offerings? You don't really love me at all. You're treating me shabbily, God says. He says, I wish one of you would just shut the door and quit kindling that useless fire on my altar. It's useless, he says. God hates brain-dead, heart-dead, going-through-the-motions religion. He hates it. 
He expects His people to love Him. He expects His people to go into the world and do what He says. This is what God says. This is what we're seeing tonight. So what makes a man or woman do some of this word-doing crazy stuff? Why, why do people build arcs when it's never rained? Why do little boys step in front of giants? And why do women give their last penny? Why do men leave their jobs and their business and their religion? Because they love God. They love Him more than anything else. That's what it's always about. That's what true Christianity is always about. And we believe because we love Him. And we believe because we want that disclosure thing. We obey because we want that disclosure thing. We want to meet God in the obedience. Why do men and women who have encountered Jesus leave their home not knowing where they're going to go? They step in front of a king with only a stick in their hand. They go to Burma. They go to India. They go to China. They build orphanages. They plant churches. They labor and give in an international church in Milan, Italy. Why do people do this? Because they love Jesus. They love Jesus, so they obey Jesus. God says, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says he abides in Him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. This is the Word of God, beloved. Tonight we're going to take communion and celebrate 